Welcome to Cooper and Carey Have Words. It's a very special episode this time because something unusual has happened. I am with, in England here, Nate Morganlock. Hello to you, Nate. Hello, Jan. And over there in Florida, feeling actually probably rather left out, it is Barry Cooper. Hello to you, Barry. Hello, everybody. But it is lovely to hear Nate's theme music again. It's, it's lovely to hear that. Absolutely. Got to start the show with that so people that know, people know there's some good times ahead. And in this episode, we're going to talk broadly about story and um, uh, a thing called a monomyth, which you should be able mm. to drop into any conversation to make you sound extremely well informed. And Nate's just looked at me slightly worried there. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars. That was that was the pretense that I was brought in under. So right, yeah, that's fine. Okay, but I'm aware that not everyone likes Star Wars. But but also, you know, I think obviously the listeners are hoping for some kind of Toy Story four style meltdown. Yeah, uh, which you graced us with uh, not so long ago. But the but not everyone, sadly, not everyone likes Cooper and Carey of words, which is a travesty. I think all and right so, thinking wow. people the don't Venn like The Venn diagram us. of people who both like Star Wars and like Cooper and Carey We are really be... vanishing into a very thin, <laughs> thin section. Um, Let's see where that goes. But why don't we kick off? And firstly, mm. why don't you explain? Um, you've, you've written a very funny, uh, very readable academic uh, piece of work, uh, which I don't know if the listeners will be allowed to read at any point. Perhaps Maybe we can put a link to could, it. Yeah. Called The Genesis of Story. Mm. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about what thinking you've been doing around story? So, um, hello, everybody. Um, Welcome to the group. I'm Everyone so, say hello, Nate. Sort of, you know, I sort of feel under pressure now because usually I just I throw in rants and jibes at various times where I feel like now I've got to sort of give a, an articulate presentation. No, which yeah. I can Cooper try. and Carey have words. You do know which show <laughs> yeah, you're on, right? I'll try. Yeah. So, so one of the times where I was sitting in Barry's uh, wardrobe um, <laughs> recording this show, we uh, we talked about <clears throat> where stories come from, how they work, and they're stealthy and they're sticky and all that sort of stuff. And I was particularly fascinated by the way that uh, it's only against the backdrop of the God of Scripture that stories make sense. So whilst I was doing my my studies, I was given the opportunity to give a an apologetic presentation on the topic of my choice. So I thought, right, I want to do something now to investigate the the existence of stories. Why do stories exist? Why do we have them? Mm. And does the existence of them make sense with anything other than a Christian worldview? Mm. And so I started writing this paper, and I got I got a little bit sort of carried away and thought it would be more interesting to write it as a story and so to write about myself as the as the writer and the reader as being um together in a in a beaten up old saloon driving across a post-apocalyptic landscape trying to take a definition of story to the top of a mountain and to sort of make it all 
makes sense. So it, it's quite a weird piece of writing. It doesn't sort Especially of fit. in an academic context. Yes, it yeah. doesn't actually fit any sort of genre it's type that I'm aware thesis of. Thesis as road trip. Do you know what the professors have made of this paper? Have you had any p- feedback on it? Um, I think they were very honoured to have received it. Um, Shortly and, before um, you were ejected from the... Well, I've yeah. not, I've, I've, I've not been called in yet to sort of defend <laughs> myself, but um, yeah, it was so it was quite fun to write it. But the thing that really got me excited was the being able to research where most of the academic work has been done the past hundred years on the origin and the existence uh, of stories, and <clears throat> you mentioned the monomyth. And I think the key thing to, to, or the key book to, to get hold of to see where culture has gone with this generally, is a book by Joseph Campbell called uh, "The Hero with a Thousand Faces," which came out I think in 1949 or something like that. Joseph Campbell was um, a student uh, of uh, psychoanalysis and was particularly interested by Jung. So Carl Jung has the collective unconscious and the archetypes to give an example of why people uh, act and and behave the way that they do. And what Carl Jung, uh, what Joseph Campbell did was to compare those archetypal psychoanalytical models with um, comparative mythology. So looking at all the world religions, they've all got different stories. And what, what, what Campbell said was that they all share sufficient structural elements that there is really only one story and all other stories are just versions of that single story. <clears throat> and he borrowed a term from James Joyce, which is the, the monomyth. And so that gets boiled down to what's called the hero's journey, which is then used as a basis for story writing and, and um, hmm. screenwriting and has become massively popular, not least because it was the blueprint, the conscious blueprint for Star Wars. Yes, George Lucas got hold of it at film school, I think, didn't he? And was reading yeah. Joseph Campbell. I he, <clears throat> okay, I thought he just nicked Seven Samurai. Well... I I mean, there you go. That sort of proves the point, <laughs> doesn't it? He's sort yeah. of stolen someone else's thing. Because yeah. Yeah. if Joseph Campbell's right, there is only one story, okay. the monomyth. No, hang on. So I'm reaching... Right. So we are recording in my office right next to uh, my bookshelf, uh, which is uh, badly organised and double-lined um, with a whole, crea- a whole load of different books. And I have just literally yanked from a shelf an unread book, which I own, called The Seven Basic Plots by Christopher Booker, who has relatively recently died. Um, To what extent does the monomyth fit with this idea that there are seven stories, um, and I can't remember what they are, uh, but overcoming the monster, rags to riches, uh, all that kind of stuff, um, are are they all just facets of one big story? Yeah, so I think uh, for Campbell's view is that each of those is just a sort of shard of the window of the big story. Um, and the thing is, that makes so much sense from a, from a Christian perspective. Um, because if, if the gospel is true, um, then 
the thing that is beneath, behind and beyond all of human experience and what we can see and feel and touch and everything, if what's behind that is the story of God's redemptive work through Christ, then inevitably we will just retell that tale in different ways, distorting it or manipulating it in ways which are more or less accurate. But we can't almost do anything but tell that story because yeah. there's nothing else out there. That is that is That's the sort of it. not just the operating system of the universe. It is the source code. It is the firmware. Yeah. It is the absolute. It's almost woven into the DNA. Yeah. Of the cell. Yeah. So are you saying then that when J.J. Abrams was accused of basically ripping off a new hope. Yeah. Basically, what he's saying is he couldn't really help it in a way because there's, you know, there's yeah. only so many variations. Well, in so, to, I will speak specifically about that in a minute. But the 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 fact that we don't get to make the decisions we think we're making is a fascinating one when it comes to creative enterprise because we did we're sub creators so we can only manipulate what's already there for us mm. and so if you look at um uh stephen king talking about the origin of story he says stories are like fossils they're found things mm. and so you basically as the author you're unearthing as much of this thing yeah. as possible and trying to keep it intact i've heard um john lloyd talk about that who is the uh BBC comedy producer who produced not the nine o'clock news and Blackadder and uh, QI. Yeah, and he and if listen, I'll put a link in the show notes to an episode of Sitcom Geeks we did where we talked to him about that, and it is almost like storytelling is just digging and digging until eventually you find something rather than composition. So the other person who writes about George R. R. Martin, who did um, Game of Thrones. Well, let's not mention that because it gets too much airtime in here anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. and I've never seen any of it, so there we go. Okay. But um, but you know it's bad, right? But I know you, it's I've, terrible. Yes, I've never seen and it. You're but I, all I don't need to. Yeah, to know. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. But he said he said there are two types of storytellers or two types of writers. There are architects and gardeners. He says there are architects who map out everything in the blueprint. So they know exactly how big the building's going to be or where all the piping's going to go. And then they start writing the story. So they've yeah. mipped it up, mapped it all out. That sounds like Tolkien to me. And then he says the the other type of writer is the gardener who knows what kind of seed he has when he plants it, but he doesn't know how many branches the tree will be on the tree. So he's sort of saying that he's a gardener because he just sort of throws it out there. So it, there's all these different theories about where the story comes from or what yeah. is the best metaphor for describing what you do as an author. Well, let's take George R.R. R. Martin and J.R.R. R. Tolkien as an example. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he really does have two R's in his middle name or has just affected them to sound there's like no Tolkien. Chance. There's no chance. Um, but it strikes me that Tolkien is very much the architect and... Whereas I know that George Martin, when he was writing his Game of Thrones books, it was a song of fire and ice, whatever it is, is after two or three books, he himself lost track of who, who all the characters were. Yeah. And he had a super fan, I think somewhere in Sweden, who he then essentially hired to know all about his characters. Yeah. So that when he's 
so that he doesn't make the mistake, which I think he nearly did, of, of misgendering one of his characters purely because of memory loss. He'd just forgotten. He'd just forgotten whether this person was a guy or a dude, or I think it might even have been the gender of a horse or something. <laughs> um, so, uh, so th- this is these are very strange categories, I guess we're talking about. But... So I think so. I I'm fascinated by the idea of what do you think you're doing when you write a story, and how much control do you actually have and i think at one level we are responsible for the stories we tell we're held accountable for those before the lord um because you can't just say oh well i didn't come up with this i you know this sort of stuff because you are involved in the process at some level however all things come from you O lord and of your own have we given you we can only ever give back to the Lord what he has, has given to us. So we don't have ultimate control over the destiny of the plot or the characters or whatever it is. We're always playing with, you know, playing in someone else's uh, toy box, uh, kind of, as it were. So I think that's one of those uh, challenges for this, the authors and the, the screenwriters and people like that is that they want to... They enjoy what they do, but then when they reflect on what they do and how they can do it, it gets sort of um, tricky. Because, interestingly, uh, you've read Creativity Inc. Yes, the okay, Pixar. The Pixar uh, oh right, uh, Ed Catmull, who was one of the original guys at Pixar. He talks about people at Pixar who like the the fossil idea. Yeah. You're just unearthing the bones, um, but because he's committed to um, being a neo-Buddhist, he basically says, no, the future is totally unwritten. We go into this complete unknown with only our own sort of ways to manipulate and create. And there is no such thing as a fossil on Earth as a story. It's all new. And you go, oh, that's fascinating. So, you know, in that paper, I was was toying with some of that, but also trying to... um, uh, give as many quotations as possible from interesting people. Yeah. That I mean it is an um, academic paper so you're sort of meant to, aren't you? You kind of have yeah. to. But but I also yeah. mentioned um uh Chesterton, who obviously you get very I'm excited a fan, about, fan of. So. Hmm. One thought occurred to me as you were speaking um about this because it's been a a, a I was going to say long held view of mine, not quite true. It has been a recently held view of mine that one of the problems with comedy today not being as satisfying or pleasing to watch. So there are nice crowd-pleasing comedies like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which are just goofy, funny. Everything that's meant to happen kind of happens. But there's another form of comedy which is fundamentally nihilistic because the people who are making it are nihilists. Mm. They don't really believe in anything. Yeah, yeah. But even... and, And I wonder if this is why we have seen... Uh, this is gold, this. Why we have seen a move from an individual episode that has total coherence mm. where where our hero tells a lie and the lie is exposed, they're held account for it, but it all resolves in the end. Mm. Or whether someone is assaulted and that person themselves reaps the consequences of it. Because we, we like short-term morality to pay yeah. off in a satisfying mm. way, and mm. that's kind of mainstream. But I wonder if the comedy has moved away from that and it can't bear itself to be as neat in a 20 minute mm. 30 minute mm. episode and that's why we need story arcs so a story yeah. arc can make something so breaking bad 
which I've not seen. Um, but you shouldn't watch it. Uh, Breaking Bad. Um, I would. Yeah. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, but you. But all of these shows, they can they can go for many, many, many episodes before it feels like they need any kind of resolution. Mm. And when you do get one, like you do with the very, very final episode of Game of Thrones, a generation of nihilists basically completely lose their minds. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so so. And this is what's so fascinating about J.J. Abrams directing the final Star Wars film after Rian Johnson directed the penultimate one. Because Star Wars, as we said, is is a painting by numbers from Joseph Campbell's book. So And it's a kid's film. Yeah, well it it is a kid's film, but it's yeah. also it's you if you write the first the first three episodes you write are the middle ones. Yeah. It's obvious that the final one you have to write is going to be almost entirely based upon what was happening yeah. previously. You have to resolve everything. And so um people accusing JJ Abrams of just having this sort of checklist of, you know, you've got to do this and you this character needs a yeah. resolution and, and you we need to see this again. It's like, well, obviously. Yeah. And in one sense, if he'd done anything other than that, it would have been awful. Because yeah. it's a bit like getting you know, if you're if you're playing a, a five day test match and you've just gotta bat it out, yeah. right? you've just gotta get through it. Don't do anything exciting. Don't yeah. go out there and start playing ridiculous, you know, sweeps and stuff like that. Just just stay in and finish yeah. the job. Yeah, 40% of our listeners are going, what? Well, I, I felt like... <laughs> Can you translate Venn, that for our the, American listeners? The Venn diagram needed to have another circle added to okay. it, people who'd be interested in <laughs> cricket. <laughs> oh, boy. It's the... But Goodbye, any, listeners. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Nice knowing Cheerio. you. But the... There's a thing called sports, and um, in the sports, <laughs> hmm. they generally tend to have a victor and a uh, yeah. and a loser. Yeah. And if you're already winning, yeah, you don't take risks in the last few minutes. Yeah, yeah. You just finish the job. Yeah, you know, yeah. you sh you bring off, you know, the striker and put on a yeah. defender. You just park the bus. Yeah, you know, um, and that's all J.J. Abrams had to do. Mm. And I think he did it, yeah. and it was fine. And that's what makes Star Wars good mythology, even though it's terrible theology. Do it! Do it! Do it! But don't you think that there's probably more than... There's more than we're letting on to that particular criticism. So there is... I think you're quite right. Some of the criticism, and this could apply to all sorts of trilogies like Game of Thrones, or not trilogies, but long series like Game of Thrones, um, where people say, well, that just felt kind of a bit glib or that felt mm. imitative, and that's it's not entirely fair for all the reasons we've said. Yeah. On the other hand, there is, I think, a bit of a legitimate criticism where you have with the mm. final uh, Star Wars film, The Rise of Skywalker, Final, he says laughingly. Um, yeah, this is the uh, last one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we promise. Um, I said that with Toy Story. It <laughs> <laughs> should have been as well. But if you think about, I think one of the criticisms there, which is quite right, is there's a lot of what people tend to call on the internet fan service. Meaning right. that there is there is this sense of not a 
writer just bringing a story to a natural close or an appropriate mm. close, but just ticking a bunch of boxes like in yeah. the final spoiler alert by the way if you haven't seen it yet but in rise of skywalker you get a two second obligatory shot of ewoks and you yeah. get a two second yeah. obligatory shot of porgs you know it's and it's dropped in almost yeah. it just feels like well that had nothing to do with anything it's just there yeah. not to serve the story but simply because yeah. oh well I'll be oh we've got to see the the ewoks again haven't we because that's their fan favorite but so, i think yeah. I think the reason fan service is is important because the reason why fans want to see those things is not only because, well, I like Ewoks, um, but is because you're a bloke, you don't like Ewoks, <laughs> but because they, because they, the fan, what the fans are, are desperate for in terms of the audience wanting is that conclusion they want the resolution and they mm. want to see that the the first three films haven't been forgotten and they want to see the episodes one two and three basically have been forgotten yes and to be fair to the the final film because rian johnson had really i mean it's a beautiful film that i yes. mean that's the the was it last jedi but because he sort of forgotten about the the mythology and the need for the story to be coherent and to make sense across everything he was introducing things like the possibility for example that that ray yeah. was had no heritage everyone's you take a that that she, yeah. that she you know anyone totally normal person can be it's like no that's not the way mythology works mythology we have to see that even the most vulnerable um ordinary girl who's hanging about on Jakku that she is actually the well to uh, she's an empress mm. effectively mm. because that's part of mythology that the kid that you thought you know you see in um the horse and his boy the slave boy Shasta is actually the son of the king of Arkenland yeah you know that's what you get with um Rapunzel She's not just this girl who's there. She's the daughter of the king and queen. Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah, it, yeah. It, you yeah. need the own the mythology demands that these characters be worthy of so much attention because they're utterly glorious mm. in terms of their heritage, and they've been lost from that. That makes sense because that's who we are. Yes, all human beings were made in the image of God and have been lost from that. Therefore. You never meet a person without history. You yes. never meet a person who's not got this great heritage yes. because every single person has fallen from such a great height. Yes. So I think instinctively, when Rian Johnson sort of suggests, oh, well, Ray, she can't, you know, it doesn't matter who she is, your parents were nobodies. It's like, well, they must be somebodies. Yeah. Like, they have mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. And then yeah. so it's, like it's not—it's not a credible thing to say yeah. that she comes from nowhere. Yeah, well, that and, ties and into something it. else, doesn't it? That yeah. we've been saying earlier in in earlier episodes. That yeah, that's that's definitely true. But it's very interesting that most audiences need to feel that the story beats have been, to use another very loaded term, earned. And yeah. I think again yeah. that ties into the monomyth, doesn't it? Because w w it's not enough just to sort of have a, a cheap sort of Deus ex machina kind of thing yeah. happening 
there needs to be a sense a, there has to be a sense of real cost with things like self-sacrifice yeah. it can't just be dropped into the plot and that's because yeah. the great story of the of the cosmos involves self-sacrifice you know the most profound loss mm. and most profound um, meaning that that the eternal is is subjected to the temporal and mm. you know there is this uh, the, the father losing the son and so on so that's maybe i think that might be the root of some of the criticisms people just feel well you guys are just making this up as it goes along you're dropping in plot points to yeah to do this that and the other but it doesn't really feel earned maybe yeah and i think but and i think that's yeah. why going back to an episode where we talked about lost and we made a couple of listeners angry it was the whole thing felt slightly confected because it became yeah. increasingly clear that the creators of the show didn't know how it was going to end mm. and we lost confidence in them and so that it felt like they were just writing themselves out of a corner yeah at the end with, with a great big reveal that again made lots of people quite angry I've, again i've never seen it yeah. i don't know yeah. but mm. what is interesting is that for a long time even after books three or four of the harry potter series jk rowling said i have already written the final chapter yes yeah. you need um, yeah quite breaking bad as well i think that was mapped out wasn't it right from the beginning and it really shows yeah and i i think that's that's such an important part of of where stories have come from because because if 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 god is sovereign then the final chapter has already been written it's not just descending into further chaos and and just yes. unfolding in in a completely incoherent way he's the alpha and the omega yeah yeah it's got it's going somewhere mm. and i think if you're going to have it's where the nihilistic approaches come in because they go well we don't believe anything going anywhere yeah it's like well why would we write stories we actively cannot believe yeah. that it's been determined which yeah. is why again we go yeah. back to predestination as we frequently do and it makes people angry predestination <laughs> yeah um and so they're doing everything to delay the inevitable mm. Um, which can be entertaining and funny when we we can all see where the story is going, yeah. but the writer or the protagonist can't, yeah. or when the whole thing is like an anti-story. Like uh, I've not read again. I keep talking about stuff I've not read. Um, the Life and Times of Tristram Shandy. Yeah, Lawrence mm. Stern. But I have watched. I have watched a cock and bull story, which yes. is the movie version of it, which is a movie about the failed attempt to make a movie, yeah. which is the perfect version of that book. Um, which I do actually recommend. It is quite fun, mm. but it's, it's infuriating. Yeah. But it's only infuriating because we know that stories have a blueprint. Precisely. Yeah, and and yeah. you can't you can't give people. You can't make it so obvious, right? And and that's what's brilliant about the stories that you, it's going to go to a resolution, and it will make sense when you look back retrospectively, but. You, there were still things you were discovering along the way, yeah. And unless, and that's probably the big challenge for, for something as massive as Star Wars, which obviously gets you know all the attention, all the fa as you say fan service, Barry. But it, it, I would in one sense, I was glad J.J. Abrams played it safe, hmm. and you know, um, and did just bat it out rather than try to do too much. And I think part of that is because it was, it's such a, it, it, 
it was left unresolved with with Last Jedi, and had it carried on in that trajectory, I think it wouldn't have been as as satisfying. Plus the fact that one third of the Star Wars saga films are utterly terrible, and so you're dealing with a very broken and slightly angry, a massive course fandom correction. that yes. just wants everything to. I remember you saying this on the first line of the Force Awakens, Barry. About that's right. Um, this will make every start to begin to make things right. I think is the first yes. line of the Force Awakens, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and and you're sort of going, oh, okay, so hopefully. This can undo the bad work that was done. That's right. In episodes one, two, three, which is hilarious because obviously the actual chronology of the films, uh, as opposed to the chronology in which they came out, means that you get this crisis moment in the Star Wars trilogy where you've got, um, you know, Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson, and Hugh McGregor jumping around doing something entirely convoluted with far too much CGI, horrible characters, and terribly convoluted plots. And then it gets resolved with The Force Awakens, nice and simple. Last Jedi, where's this going to go? You know, and then you sort of get that resolution. So I think I think that Star Wars is, I mean, you know, it. people should pay attention to it, not just because it's been a successful franchise, but because the story of making those films is itself a compelling narrative, which I yes. think comes to a resolution. Harry. You're right, though. I was really struck by that, what you just said about even if you're being an iconoclast, as Ryan ryan johnson was was being with the last jedi you've got to acknowledge that there are icons to clast if you know what i mean yeah you know so there so even in something as radical as that and sort of deconstructive all you're doing is you're proving the fact that there is a monomyth or something like it that we're all yeah. sort of feeding into yeah yeah um and and back on the, on the monomyth thing to say um c.s lewis has uh, l very short essay called uh, Myth Became Fact hmm. is absolutely brilliant. I probably have read it 20 times in the last year. And one of the things that he delights in showing you is that the, the Christian gospel is both fact and myth. And that it works upon us, the story of Jesus Christ, the story that we tell throughout the church's calendar, the story that we uh, we proclaim is written in the whole of Scripture, works on us like the best myths. The line that he, he comes out with is that we shouldn't be surprised to see parallel Christs. So um, Boulder, I think, and uh, Osiris, I think maybe is one that he re references in the, um, in the essay. He says we should be glad to see those things. Yeah. They ought to be there, yeah. you know, because that's the truth that that's being told. So yeah, it's often used as an example of oh, Christianity is nothing special. Yeah, look at Osiris. I think is what he's yeah, like. Right. Yeah. He yes. he apparently had a virgin birth, and he and he and he. Yeah, a lot of that actually is simply flatly not yeah, true. It's yeah, not true. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I think people think that if we can show that 
Christianity is not as unique as it thinks it is. We've yes. watered yeah. it down rather than yeah. just going, well, hang on, doesn't it just make Christianity more true rather yeah, than less exactly. true? Yeah, exactly. And also it's that fallacy of just because something may have been said in the past that, yes, the later thing is not true. So I made the point in my little yellow book that, you know, if you go to an episode of The Lone Gunman, which I think you can still watch on YouTube, and it was a spin-off, a much, not much loved spin-off from The X-Files, which I think all of us quite like. And yeah. uh, in that, there is a whole storyline about... Um, people hijacking terrorists, hijacking um, airplanes and flying them into buildings. I think in Manhattan, actually, if I remember right. Mm. And which would be unremarkable, except that it was it was broadcast like about nine months before the attacks on the Twin Towers. So yeah. n nobody says, oh, you see, so the, the, the attacks on 9-11 yeah. could never have happened because of these lone yeah. gunman episodes. It's just, yeah, that's the way yeah. things sometimes work. And, and fascinating for the uh, the... the so Lewis's essays, myth, myth became fact, and um, when I was chatting to um, Doctor Vern Poitras, who's a remarkably brilliant man, um, and I was talking to him about it, and he said, "Well, you see, really, what happened was that fact became myth. Hmm. So the original story of what God was doing in the world." was then distorted through the world as people retold it and added bits and changed mm. bits, such that we now have these other stories that are still going. Mm. Um, and you think, oh, well, that's fascinating. And it sort of makes sense of what Joseph Campbell is discovering in yeah. his comparative mythology and um, makes sense of why Carl Jung would stumble yeah. across this in the world of, of psychoanalysis. I guess you would have that if you are being uber biblical you would say that might come in post tower of babel that as people go away and have confused languages and as they're essentially being mm. given over to spiritual uh spiritual beings as it were mm. and god sort of washes his hands um, yeah. uh, i've just been listening to a lot of michael heiser as you can probably imagine because uh, he says that there are there wasn't one fall there were three falls okay um and uh, so he takes the Babel as a third. Yeah. So okay. he would. So if if you said to a first century uh, Second Temple Jew, "Why is the world in such a mess?" They would say, "Well, you've got uh, Adam and Eve. Yeah. You've got the flood, or you've got the sons of the sons of God. Yeah. Causing the flood, and then you've got Babel. Yeah. And they would see them <laughs> as a, a trio. What I I did a paper on on Babel using the Hebrew. By the way, I used the Hebrew. The <laughs> Hebrew language was yes. actually the language in which the Bible was written. Yeah. I but, think we've um, lost a few more listeners, but keep going. There we go. There we go. Add, we go. Add one more in. Yeah. Um, my, but, my wife is still clinging on here. She might have got past <laughs> the Star Wars stuff. But, <laughs> so my, my Hebrew is, is not good, but one of the things I discovered was that the story of the Tower of Babel comes uh, in the middle of two genealogies of Shem. So Shem as as the the son of Noah through whom the Shemites Semites Jewish people come through Shem. The name Shem means name. So when you're reading through the Tower of Babel account and you get to the middle bit of the Tower of Babel account, which tells you why they want to build the Tower of Babel, it says they wanted to make a name for themselves. Ah, now you read that in English and you just go, oh, name whatever they want to make a name for themselves but they wanted to make a shem for themselves hmm. oh. so they make their shem 
through bricks and mortar, the big tower, the 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 place of renown, building yeah. up to heaven. Whereas God's going to make his Shem, his name will be made great, not through bricks and mortar, but through flesh and blood, mm. which is why you get the genealogies then pointing us through to the one who will fulfill the original promises. So now we're talking about genealogies. Bye. Gee. Thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. Was it was great. But no, Lee, Lee, are you still there? Mrs. Cooper, fun. are you still listening? Um, <laughs> one of us has got to turn to the camera and go, we're talking about language. Yeah, we're, exactly. talking we're talking about, about chickens, we're talking about eggs. Yeah. About eggs. Um, yeah. But yeah. I was so excited because for the first time in my life, dealing with a language other than English, yeah. I noticed something and got very excited. And both of you have just basically ruined that for me, so thank you for that. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Here, let's, let's land this a bit more because we should start to wrap this up. Um, because also uh, Nate's got to go in a minute. Um, and also we, I think we should try and make slightly shorter episodes. Can't imagine why. <laughs> here's the question though. In reality, we're, jo we're, we're joking that our listeners are basically, we're losing them because they're not that interested. They are interested. They really are. That's partly why they listen to Cooper and Carey, I think, because we care about this stuff. Mm. And some Christians do care about this stuff. Mm. And we wish the church cared more about this stuff. Yeah. Why don't they? And why should they? Why? I. So we're, we're passionate about storytelling, about fiction, yeah. about story, about movies, about uh, TV, about novels, all that kind of stuff. So this is where I would say, because of that line, and I can't now remember the, the reference, but David is basically praying to the Lord after having gathered all the resources for the temple, mm. all the, the, the logs of, of cedar wood or, or whatever it is. And he prays the prayer, which um, all souls lying in place used to use after their um uh giving or uh, uh, time tithe, tithe the, yes, uh, yes. with the baskets they yeah. have baskets some okay. people don't like yeah. baskets anyway i'll get to the point which is all things come from you O lord and of your own have we given you we are not creators we are always sub creators therefore whatever we are creating whether we're saved or not is interesting because it's connected back to the one who created us yes. so it declares the, the glory of god in the yes, way that it, stars do yes exactly and 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 so even looking at the the creative pursuits of of non-christian people avowedly non-christian people is itself fascinating when done before the face of the lord because um these people made the image of god they can't help but bring glory to god in some way because mm they're living in his world they're being made they're, they're doing things from him so that's why i think um we can be interested in these things um and i think we should and the third thing is that i think being if i was known as a a, a mythologist i think that'd be really cool <laughs> a reformed reformed <laughs> mythologist nate right. morgan Locke. yeah yeah, that's got to. Does that sound good? Yeah, there aren't there aren't there aren't any letters you would need after your name no. to make that one work. That, yeah. that's if I'm ever on the news, yeah. if I ever have to speak in any about yeah. any current affairs, you know, I just love if that reformed mythologist. mythologist. Wow, people go, oh, that's <laughs> not even a thing. I that's not even a thing, Nate. Yeah, and I'd say it is now. <laughs> it's become a thing. What do you read, my lord?
Word. Word. And I think also there is something within all of us. Uh, we may feel slightly not only like aliens and aliens and strangers in the world, but even occasionally, if you're quite creative and story based or art based, you do feel like an alien and a stranger in a reformed church or yeah. an evangelical church. Yeah. And because there was just something a little bit literal about everything, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And it was only recently I've just been writing a series. Um, I'll put some links to it for Theopolis, uh, and I pointed out um, we were talking about sitcom, and I was saying not only is sitcom a Christian form uh it's actually the most christian uh, mm. i just sort of <laughs> hyperbolically yes. doubled down on that as a format and i sort of said it's a, it's a strange thing to me that that a church which used to be the greatest patron of the arts mm. so the church used to patronize everything mm. all you know loads of great art for about 300 years was all owned owned by commissioned by controlled yeah. by the church yeah. we have to hold our hands up there and say that we we, we put a stop to that um us reformers mm. um but yeah we now when we build new church buildings we are strangely fine with them looking like a carpet discount warehouse yeah uh and that doesn't seem right to me yeah um and i'm not saying we should be building cathedrals again yeah but do you know what i would rather fall off the horse on the side of let's put in too much beauty and break the budget on something astonishing and that's such a compelling a presentation of the gospel is beauty and and yeah. you know we yeah. and the jar of you know this, the jar of perfume on jesus's feet and just like what a waste of money yeah what a mm. waste of money and you um, go well um jesus commends it yeah and he's that and, and no matter how because i i my danger is that i get sidetracked by the the things of the imagination the things of creativity the things of story and just sort of i could you know turn from the living god and worship aesthetics right? right that's a possibility yeah mm. but when i'm reminded that well where does that beauty come from it comes from the one who is all mm. beautiful yes it comes from the beautiful god mm. who is father son spirit it's like okay so everything that i'm enjoying mm. is merely a uh you know a, a catapult a, a trampoline towards the beauty of god they're, mm. they're dust motes kind yeah. of dancing in the sun rays shining through the window and we trace we trace our vision back up the sun ray towards the source yeah yeah i prefer the trampoline analogy <laughs> trampoline's better isn't it i think that was c.s <laughs> lewis's first draft yeah he, he gave he's like hey there's some kids on the trampoline just outside my shed maybe yeah. i'll just i can use that what was he doing in that shed yeah. i'd love to know, know. He was potting some I... plants or something i don't know a... but anyway he was but we, should, uh, ask. we should wrap this up shouldn't we but one thing i just wanted to say before we do do that is again we this is bringing it full circle a bit but we really do underestimate the evangelistic i know we're big on evangelism in our in our constituency but we really underestimate the evangelistic impact of of story because wasn't that one of the reasons why C.S. Lewis became a Christian, got converted. He had that conversation with Tolkien, and Tolkien explained to him yeah. <clears throat> that the that the stories that that he so valued were actually because there is a capital G, sorry, capital F, because there is a capital S story. <laughs> um, isn't that right? Have I misremembered that? Yeah, no. They they have the oh, what's it called? Uh, Allison's Walk, Addison's Walk, or something. Is where yes. they have that conversation, and one of the other guys is there too. Um, so I've got a book in my Barfield hand called Tolkien and Lewis, The Story of a Friendship by Colin Duriers. 
So, which I have actually good. read, and I think was quite good. <laughs> um, I am, I'm always very interested in their relationship. Um, but yeah, no, I think story. I think story was one of the key hooks for Lewis, wasn't it? Because yeah. he was a story, was a story guy through and through. Yes, yeah. and again, he was doing exactly what you were saying earlier, James. He, Lewis was assuming. Well, <clears throat> you know, the Christian myth is just another myth. You know, the, the, we, we all make up stories all the time. Therefore, that's what's happened with the Gospels. That's what's happened yeah. with Christianity. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien, quite rightly, turns out in its head and says, no, the reason we have all of these stories is precisely because there was a source yeah. story. There was that source code. There yeah. was that firmware. And uh, yeah. Well, so- here's, here's the irony. I've just realized that there's a lovely little irony here. Uh, thinking because Lewis and Tolkien's relationship, because... Going back to architect and gardeners. Yeah, yeah. So Tolkien didn't like Narnia. Yeah. He thought it was childish and stupid. Yeah. What on earth is Father Christmas doing in (laughs) Narnia? Yeah. You idiot. Yeah. Mm. The irony, of course, is, as we now know, because I'm also looking at a copy of Planet Narnia by Michael Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. um, That actually there was an... Lewis was an architect, he just yeah. didn't show the plans. Yeah. Yes. And yes. the plans were actually the constellations. They were the heavens. They were the seven heavens. Yeah. So each of the <laughs> each of the books reflects that. So he turns out to be an architect after all. Yeah. And I think Tolkien must have underestimated his friend. Um, and maybe he was because also he was always slightly crossed that Lewis became an Anglican and not a Roman Catholic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, make of that what you will. But well, that you're you're exactly right. And Lewis was so good, wasn't he, at burying, um, burying things. It's funny that we talk about story as excavation, but it's also about burying, isn't it? So you've got to hide your working, I think, if things are going to be mm. to to feel resonant to people. And so yes. when I think it was in those letters to a to a child where he's explaining to that uh, young lady who was based in Florida, I think, how do I become a great story writer? And his answer is something along the lines of. Well, first of all, don't set out to write a Christian parable. That's mm. that's not what I was doing when I created the line, the witch and the wardrobe. Yeah. It just, as yeah. it were, came out of my pause, a bit like, you know, garlic does when you've had a particularly heavy night at the Italian. You know, it's not like you sit down and you go, right, okay, Christian, yeah. let's let's have Aslan be like Christ and da 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 It just mm. emerged more organically. And I think Stephen King talks in much the same way. Maybe this is what people mean when they talk about, well, you've got to let the characters speak for themselves. You know, your job as a writer is to sort of get out of the way and let yeah. the characters speak in the way that is is right and consistent for them rather than imposing a kind of a top-down uh, system. Yeah. yeah, And it sounds like that's what the critique of... There, I mean, it doesn't exist in the UK, Christian films. Uh, there's yeah. a whole sort of genre. Yeah. And they look like that they are ultimately... Exactly very much in the way of the story as opposed to getting out of the way and letting the stories mm. you know let the stories do the work and maybe that's why the reaction to star wars has been a bit muted recently just to bring it full circle that it does you it does have the whiff of a writer's room where there's a there's a whiteboard at one end and somebody says right what are some cool things that we've never seen happen in the star wars universe yeah that we'd like to see and then someone goes oh Flying stormtroopers. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, let's get that mm. in. And it, it just feels a bit like it's been apo- imposed top down rather than growing organically from the ground up. Yeah, and but my, my point is to, that to, to, be, to work within the mythology, it was episode nine of nine. 
So yeah. the limitations were so big. Episode yeah, that, nine, where they started at four. Yeah. Got to six, went to one and to three, <laughs> made a real mess of it. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I mean, I, I'll tell you now, I would have turned down directing um, The Rise of Skywalker. God, it's just as well they didn't call you, isn't it, really? Wow. Exactly. I wouldn't have wanted... Embarrassing I would have said, uh, listen, Kathleen, um, <laughs> well, I'm a busy man. I'm also in the middle of a, an MDiv. I've yeah. got yeah. lots on my plate. Yeah. I, I've i never really directed any feature films. <laughs> How did you get my number? I did a why you're calling me, Kathleen. <laughs> but can I can um, I get some But I really stuff? don't, I don't, yeah. Can yeah, I come my, on set and, yeah, can, and basically Can I get photos? the Lego version of the Death Star and the <laughs> yes. Millennium Falcon? And I want my own X-Wing helmet. And Atat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but thanks, Riggy. And um, <laughs> chat to you soon. Okay. Lots of love. Bye. 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 I think that's the perfect way to end. Nate Morganlock, it's been wonderful to be inside your head oh, uh, for, for nearly an stop. hour. And uh, thank you very much. Listeners can get in touch with us in the usual ways. Cooper and Carey at gmail.com is our email address. And you can find us on the tweets and the Facebooks. And do send us an email. And also you can support the show by going to the goodies bit of the website, cooperandcary.com. And listeners do very kindly dig into their pockets and donate to this uh, shambolic show uh, just so that we can uh, keep the lights on. That's really uh, appreciated. Um, but yeah, anything else to add there, Barry? I don't think so. Thanks a lot, Nate. Lovely to hear your voice from 4,000 miles away. Uh, we will speak to y'all again in two weeks' time. Cheerio. Bye. He said y'all. He said y'all. He did. Yeah, I did. I'm just trying to contextualise for half our audience. It was good. Yeah.